Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Friday, June the 10th, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to libertyshield.com, use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, and get 25% off either the hardware or software packages. Hardware package is a router sent out to your home, shipping worldwide. Software package is instantly downloadable from the website onto your chosen device. Get using straight away with the software. And again, EPL25 gets you 25% off at the checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check at homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off at checkout. Right, folks, the PFA awards were last night, and they've led to some controversy, some dispute, some debate, some crying. So let's get into those. So the men's PFA Players Player of the Year award had six nominees. Two of them had absolutely no business being nominated. De Bruyne should have been there. Van Dyke should have been there. Salah should have been there. And I think there is a strong case for Mane, but I will take opposition to that. I'll take no opposition to the other three. De Bruyne, Van Dyke, and Salah absolutely nailed on. 
Harry Kane should not have been there. Harry Kane was terrible for over half the season. I know he finished with impressive numbers. That's because he's a great player. But he only played well for less than half the season. And Cristiano being nominated is an absolute joke. An absolute joke. Salah wins the award, and rightly so. The most goals, the most assists. He was the best player in the world in the first half of the season. And while his numbers in the second half of the season weren't as good, his underlying numbers in terms of creativity, dribbling, etc., etc., all very, very similar to what he was doing pre-Christmas. This is Salah's second time winning the award. Puts him in elite company in terms of players who've won this award multiple times. He sweeps the two big awards this year, winning the Football Writers Award alongside this one. He also, of course, won the Football Writers Award the first time he won it, which was 2017-18. I don't know how anybody could claim that anybody else was deserving of the award. De Bruyne had an outstanding second half of the season, but not in the first half of the season because he was injured for multiple games. Mark Hughes has won this award twice. Alan Shearer has won it twice. Thierry Henry has won it twice. Cristiano Ronaldo has won it twice. Gareth Bale has won it twice. De Bruyne has won it twice. And now Salah. That is your list of players to win this award on two occasions. And to be fair, Mark Hughes is by far the worst player on that list. And Mark Hughes was really, really good. But Shearer is the all-time record goal scorer in the Premier League. I believe Henri is the Premier League's greatest ever player. Cristiano is Cristiano. Gareth Bale had an outstanding run at Spurs for three years before going to Real Madrid. De Bruyne has been one of the three best players in the league since joining City every single year. And Salah has been one of the three best players in the league since joining Liverpool. So you're talking about all-time greats. I don't think there can be any real dispute on that award. I do think there should be dispute on the Young Player of the Year award. So the nominees for it were Phil Foden, Conor Gallagher, Reese James, Jacob Ramsey, Bikayo Saka and Emile Smith-Rowe. Conor Gallagher was the best player on his team this season. I would say Reese James was top three for Chelsea. Ramsey was top three for Villa. Saka was the best player at Arsenal. And Smith Rowe was top three for them as well. Phil Foden was about the sixth best player at Manchester City this season. De Bruyne, Bernardo, Rodri, Kinsale. And I would argue Americ Laporte. Now, he didn't have a great season report, but he was consistently good at centre-back, whereas Diaz was up and down, Stones was up and down and injured. I would say, if you want to argue Foden over Laporte, fine, but he's not getting in over the others. So, at best, he's the fifth best player at City. A star-studded team put together at incredible expense. I don't think he should have won this award. He was the one chosen as the winner. It's back-to-back awards for him 
But for me, he only played 2,100 minutes in the Premier League. Now, it's less of a joke than when he won it last season, because last season he played even less in the Premier League. But this season he, he made 28 appearances for 2,134 minutes in the Premier League. Last season, he made 28 for 1,600 minutes. That was farcical. Last season, nine goals and five assists in that 1,600 minutes. This season, nine goals and five assists in 2,100 minutes. I don't think Phil Foden improved this year from last year. He had a couple of really good standout performances. But to me, this award needs to go to a player who's either A, massively kicked on, or B, is the best player in their team and has helped their team overachieve based on what expectation were. And I think when you look at that, I think this award should have gone to either Conor Gallagher or Bakayo Saka. Now, Saka would have been my pick. Saka scored more goals than Foden, had more assists than Foden, played in every game, played 860 more minutes. Like That has to matter. That's in an average Arsenal team where he, as a kid, a 20-year-old kid, is the best player. You put Saka in that City team, and they're better. You put Foden in the Arsenal team, I don't think they're as good. And I think Foden's an incredibly gifted player. I really do. I think he's an outstanding talent. But I think Saka's a better player. And I think he had a better season. And like I say, if not him, then Conor Gallagher. I mean, consider what was expected of Palace before the season and how their season worked out. And he was absolutely key to that. For them to go from being largely a defensive-minded team with no real interest in pressing anybody to a very good pressing team with him as the trigger. It's really, really impressive. He played 34 games. He only missed, actually missed two games this season. Remember, he wasn't allowed to play in either game against Chelsea. So he played 34 games. He scored eight goals and three assists from midfield. Foden's numbers were in the, in the, in the front three. He did this in midfield. 2,800 minutes and elevated that Crystal Palace team showed versatility, showed toughness, surrounded by some good players without question, but also some fairly average players who under Roy Hodgson had kind of shown what they were capable of, but bringing Gallagher and all of a sudden there's better performances coming from them. Like Jacob Ramsey, also played more minutes than Fulton, scored six goals, had an assist, all from midfield. He would have been the breakout star of the year for me. Like, this was his real coming out season. Gallagher we'd seen, Saka we'd seen, Foden obviously we'd seen. This was the first time he really got a full season under his belt, and I thought Ramsey was outstanding. Smith Rowe had a really good year, but he did lose his place in the Arsenal starting eleven because Arteta was too much of a coward to play him, Martinelli, Saka and Odegaard all together. So he insisted on playing Granit Xhaka. 
But Smith Rowe had a really good season. And Reese James, I mean, let's be clear, he's not as good as Trent. That that needs to go in the bin, but he is a very, very good player. And his goal scoring is important for Chelsea. He's obviously a very good crosser and a good passer of the ball. For me, looking at that, li- that list, Foden would have been sixth. I think they've got that one wrong. The team of the year, they also got things wrong. Now, I don't think you can argue with Allison. He's the best goalkeeper in the league. He was the best goalkeeper in the league this season. It's fully deserved. You can't argue with Trent at right back. By a country mile, the best right back in the league this season. And the same goes for João Cancelo at left back. By a country mile, the best left back. Same with Virgil. Easily the best centre back this season. That's coming off an ACL tear. This guy is not human. To come back from an ACL tear and re-establish yourself as easily the best centre-back in the league is not normal behaviour. Antonio Rudiger, I don't think, belongs in this team. I don't even think he was Chelsea's best defender this season. I think Romero would have been worth a shout, but he did only play 1,800 minutes. Now, the minutes thing really shouldn't have been an issue, though, as we'll discover when we move on. But for me, I wouldn't have had Rudiger. I think you would have gone Diaz, Laporte, Mark Wehi. I think you could have made a strong case for Zuma. I think you could have made a pretty strong case for Joel Matip. Like a really strong case for Joel Matip. In midfield, De Bruyne, no argument. Bernardo Silva, no argument. Thiago Alcantara, in terms of his performances when he was on the pitch, no argument. However, he only played 1,500 minutes in the league. And for me, there has to be a minimum of, say, 2,500. If if you're going to rule out Romero because of minutes or whatever else, like Thiago has to go the same way. I think they've got to put a limit on... You've you've got to play X number of minutes for this and the individual awards. You've got to play 2,500 minutes in the Premier League or you're not getting consideration. Because Thiago was brilliant for Liverpool, but 1,500 minutes, it's just not enough. It's, what, less than 16 full games? Consider that an average game is about 94 minutes. There's 3,572 minutes available in the Premier League. Thiago missed 2,000 of them. Phil Foden missed 1,400 of them and still made the got, got Young Player of the Year. Like That, that to me is just wrong. Um, it should have been Rodri. It should have been Rodri. He was absolutely outstanding. And from August to May, if you judge it on that period of time, he wasn't just one of the best midfielders in the league. He was the best midfielder at City. It was Bernardo and Rodri, one and two in the first half of the season. And then it was De Bruyne and Rodri, one and two in the second half of the season. He's the only one that was consistent August to May. KDB was poor and he had some injuries in the first half. And Bernardo was inconsistent in the second half. 
Rodri should have made the team. You can't argue with Salah. I'm sure you could make an argument against Mane, but who would you put in? And if your answer is Young Min Son, that's fine. However, the person Son should have been in over is Cristiano Ronaldo. That is the most laughable inclusion in a Premier League team of the year in a couple of years. If we look at last season, last season's team had Ederson, Canseo, Stones, Diaz, Shaw, De Bruyne, Gundogan, Bruno, Kane, Salah and Son. No real issue with any of that. The season before, he could maybe argue against Nick Pope. Trent, Van Dijk, Sionchu, who was unbelievable that year. Andy Robertson, KDB, David Silva. Brian Henderson shouldn't have been in the team, but he did win the Football Writers Player of the Year, so, you know, it is what it is. Vardy, Aubameyang, and Mane. Like, but none of them are as bad as including Cristiano this season. That is just a farcical inclusion. Even look back at the previous decade. Ederson, Trent, Virgil, Laporte, Robertson, Bernardo, Fernandinho, Paul Pogba, Sterling, Aguero, Mane. You can't really argue against that. You could maybe say Salah should have been in over Aguero, but I'm not going to make the argument. Season before that, it's De Gea, Walker, Otamendi questionable, but City did have 100 points that year. Vertonghen, Alonso, David Silva, Eriksen, De Bruyne, Salah, Kane, Aguero. You, again, you're not getting much argument. De Gea, Walker, Gary Cahill, or Cahill, uh, David Luiz, Danny Rose, Eden Hazard, Deli Ali, N'Golo Kante, Mane, Kane, Lukaku. Again, there's nothing jumping out as being dreadful here. De Gea, Hector Bellerin, Toby Alderweireld, Wes Morgan, maybe questionable. He was largely given it for the same reason Henderson was. He was captain of the team that won the league. Danny Rose, Riyad Mahrez, Deli Ali, N'Golo Kante, Dimitri Payet, Vardy Kane. You're not, there's not many really bad picks. Not many at all. And the ones that are questionable, they're not as bad as picking Cristiano this year. Young Min's son has been absolutely robbed this season of his place in the team of the year. He absolutely has. He won the golden boot, shared with Salah, without taking a penalty. That's incredible. 23 goals and nine assists. Nine assists. He was Spurs' best player. They finished fourth. Cristiano is the primary reason United finished sixth. And I don't mean that they would have finished tenth without him. I mean they would have finished fourth without him. Everybody else around him, their performance level dropped. Everybody else. Bruno Fernandes went from one of the best players in the league to looking like football was new to him. Marcus Rashford cratered. Anthony Martial cratered. Sancho cratered. Anthony Alanga, who, you know, he had a decent season, but 
Cristiano scored 18 goals. Hyungman scored so Hyungman Son scored 23. Cristiano had three assists. Son had nine. Son also played 500 minutes more, which has to matter. Absolute nonsense for him to be included, especially at the exclusion of Youngman's son. That is probably, I'm not sure which is worse, the inclusion of Cristiano or the exclusion of, of Son. I think Son, I think that might be the most egregious exclusion of the last decade. Genuinely, it's an absolute shocker. The championship team of the year was also announced, and I thought it would make some interesting reading. So Lee Nichols of uh, Huddersfield Town, he is the chosen goalkeeper, had a very strong season for them. Jed Spence of Nottingham Forest, the automatic pick at right back. He will be in the Premier League this season one way or another. Now, there's a lot of talk that Spurs are very keen to get him in. He could be there. He's been linked with Arsenal. He's been linked with United. He's been linked with Chelsea. Chelsea would only want him as a buyout, as a, as a backup. He should avoid that. He's been linked with Crystal Palace. He's been linked with Newcastle. He has obviously been linked with a permanent move to Forest. So he's going to be in the Premier League one way or another. Tosin is outstanding. He was really good for Fulham in the Premier League. He was great for them in the Championship. I'm expecting a big season from him next year. Lloyd Kelly, no argument. I do think he's a better left-back than centre-back, but he did play centre-back and played it very well for Bournemouth. I do take issue with Tim Ream, largely because he's in the team as the left-back and he's a centre-back who played centre-back all season. If Lloyd Kelly is getting in over him, it should be somebody else who gets in as the left-back. Uh, Philip Billing, no argument. Uh, Fabio Carvalho and Harry Wilson, again, no argument. And then the front three picked themselves. Ben Breerton Diaz, Dominic Solanke and Alexander Mitrovic. Now, Mitrovic and Solanke, we know, are going to be in the Premier League this season because their clubs got promoted. I would expect that Ben Breerton Diaz is also in the Premier League this coming season. I don't think he's going to stay at Blackburn. They have triggered the option year on his contract. So we will see what happens, but my assumption is a Premier League club will come in for him. It could be Brighton. They're badly in need of a striker. Southampton could use him. Could see him at Aston Villa. Him and him and Watkins could be an interesting pairing. I think Villa are setting their targets higher. Whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, we, we, we'll wait and see. Could see Forrest having interest. He came through at Forrest. I don't know if they would have the finances to bring him back, but he was in their academy from 2015, left the club in 2019. So he could be an option for them if they've got the money, but... Yeah, he'll be a Premier League player or playing top flight football somewhere next season. Gavin Basunu, soon to be of Southampton, picked as the League One goalkeeper, which is uh, not at all surprising. Right. <clears throat> Let us move on from that. 
Uh, sad news as Billy Bingham, the former Northern Ireland manager, has passed away. Bingham had a playing career at Glentoran, Sunderland, Luton, Everton, and Port Vale, most notably at, at, at Sunderland, where he spent eight years, played well over 200 games. Uh, he played 56 times for Northern Ireland, and then he managed Southport, Northern Ireland, Plymouth, Linfield, Greece, Everton, PAOK, Mansfield, Northern Ireland then for 13 years, and did spend a bit of time, splitting time between Northern Ireland and Al-Nazir in Saudi Arabia. Growing up, Billy Bingham was like the Northern Ireland manager that I knew. He took them obviously to the World Cup in both 82 and 86. Uh, he is a legend in Northern Irish football. And uh, at the age of 90, he has passed away. A good innings, to be fair. A good innings. But um, yeah, a sad loss for the footballing world and thoughts with his family and, and those who were close to him. Right. You've heard me say on this podcast before that talk sport is just the worst thing going in terms of football discussion. And the biggest problem with it is it does shape the views of a lot of people who decide to spend the time listening to that tripe. Now, I was unfortunate enough yesterday to be scrolling social media and see a clip from TalkSport of that Goldstein idiot with Darren Bent and Jack Wilshire discussing whether or not Danny Welbeck is a better footballer than Marcus Rashford. And Bent and Wilshire were trying to make the case that he was. Now, it's sort, sort of understandable here. Jack Wilshire is personal friends with Danny Welbeck. They were at Arsenal together. I would assume Darren Bent was in a number of England squads with Danny Welbeck over the years. He was in England international from 06 to 11. Danny, Darren Bentley made 11 appearances, sorry, 13 appearances for England. Surprised by that. Uh, they may not have actually been because Welbeck's first cap was in 2011. So they might have had a crossover of one or two uh, England camps. But either way, it is an absolutely nonsensical point to take that Danny Welbeck is a better player or has ever been a better player than Marcus Rashford. If we just look at production, in 2000, sorry, in 20,502 minutes, 317 appearances, Marcus Rashford has 98 goals and 57 assists. In 22,814 minutes, 384 appearances, Danny Welbeck has 85 goals and 47 appearances. So Welbeck has less goals and less assists in more minutes and a lot more appearances. But almost a season's worth of minutes there, about 2,300 minutes is about a season's worth of minutes for a lot of players. So 13 less goals, 10 less assists. 
That's before you factor in the fact that Danny Welbeck has made most of his career appearances as a centre-forward. Danny Welbeck has played 205 of his 384 games through the middle. Marcus Rashford, on the other hand, has played most of his football in wide areas. Marcus Rashford has 188 of his appearances have come in wide areas. So less minutes, more goals, more assists, and playing wide. And yet they're still trying to make this argument. That's also before you consider that Danny Welbeck has been through his peak years. Marcus Rashford is only 24. He is only coming up to his peak years. Now, Rashford had a really bad season. This season just gone. A really bad season. He was plagued by injuries. He was at a club where things were an absolute catastrophe. Uh, He was forced to play with the most selfish player in the history of the game. And he was often forced to play on the right wing, which doesn't really suit him. In the league, he played 1,233 minutes across the season in 25 appearances. Four goals, two assists. That's not good. A goal or an assist every 205 minutes, basically. Danny Welbeck, six goals, three assists in 1,474 minutes. So Danny Welbeck did have a better season. But Danny Welbeck also played the vast majority of his games, 19 of them, through the middle. Marcus Rashford played almost exclusively as a winger. You can make an argument that Danny Welbeck had a better season than Rashford. You can't make an argument that he's a better player. Like, what is he better at? Is he a better finisher? No. Is he a better passer of the ball? No. Is he better in 1v1 situations? No. Rashford is better than Welbeck in wide areas. He's better than him through the middle. Danny Welbeck is not a very good player, is the truth of it. Now, he does have a good record for England, which is weird. In 42 caps, he has 16 goals. That's actually better than Rashford, who has 12 goals in 46 games. But again, Welbeck was playing through the middle. Rashford has most often played wide for England. But if we look season by season at what they've been capable of, all competitions, Rashford, 8 in 18, 11 in 53, 13 in 52, 13 in, 50, in 47, 22 in, 20, in, sorry, 22 in 44, 21 in 57. Five straight seasons of double figures. Back-to-back seasons of 20 or more. This season, five in 32 games in all competitions. A career-worst season. Danny Welbeck. Three in 13, two in 11, 12 in 39, two in 40. Two in 40? Just consider for a minute... Two in 40. (laughs) 
10 and 36. 6 and 31. Oh, no, sorry, I've, I've gotten that wrong. He had 6 and 28. He had 8 and 37 then the next season. Uh, 5 and 15, 4 and 20, 10 and 43, 5, in 100, 5 and 14, 3 and 20, 6 and 24, 6 and 27. In his career, he's had three seasons in double figures. In his career. Fifteen seasons. Three of them in double figures. A career high of 12. In the Premier League, Rashford has 5, 5, 7, 10, 17, 11 and 4. Welbeck, 1, 9, 6, 1. 1 and 27 in the Premier League is particularly terrible. 9, 4, 4, 2, 5, 1, 2, 6 and 6. He's never hit double figures in the Premier League. Rashford has done it three times. Rashford's career high in the Premier League is 17 in 31 games. That's a really good return for a player playing wide. Rashford's best, is, or Welbeck's best is nine. And here's the thing. Welbeck, when he was at United, played in much better United teams than Rashford has played in. Even the Arsenal teams he joined under Wenger were better than most of the United teams that Rashford has been able to play in. Three seasons in double figures. Three. I'm sorry. There's just no argument to be made that Danny Welbeck is a better footballer than Marcus Rashford. Like, what is he better at? Name me the thing he's better at. Even for England, like, when Danny Welbeck has a good season, he just has a good season. So, in the season he scored 9 and 30 for United, he also scored 5 for England. In the season he scored 9 and 25 for United, he also scored... Five for England. The season in between that is the season he got one for United in the league, obviously. Uh, he got three. 13 of his England goal, goals came in three seasons. All the rest, one or zero. Rashford isn't that type of streaky player. Rashford is more consistent. Now, obviously, he is having a tough time at the minute. The injuries, the turmoil at the club, he's does a lot of stuff off the pitch. It has affected his play. All of it has affected his play. I'd imagine seeing what's gone on at his club with even the likes of Mason Greenwood has had an effect on Rashford. But like Rashford's down year, the worst season of his career, is still better than one, two, three, four, five of Danny Welbeck's career seasons. And his best seasons, Welbeck doesn't get anywhere close to them. He has four seasons scoring more goals than Danny Welbeck has ever managed in his life. Four. 
of the top six goal scoring seasons between them, Welbeck has five of or Rashford has five of them. The kids only had seven seasons, and the first season was a bit of a season. He still got eight and eighteen in that first season. Like eight and eighteen. That's better than all bar four Danny Welbeck seasons. There's just no comparison between the two. Actually, I tell a lie, it's better than all bar three. Because Danny Welbeck's season with eight goals, he played 34 games. Well, uh, Rashford did it in 18. Rashford is just so much better than Danny Welbeck. So much better. Rashford's a really good player. He just had a bad season. Now, it may well be that having been played so much in the early part of his career, we will see him follow the path of Delhi Ali and maybe hit a rut. But at the same time, he's already accomplished more in his career than Danny Welbeck. Like, I know people will point and say, well, look, Welbeck has a Premier League winner's medal. He's got two League Cup winners' medals, he won FA Cup at Arsenal, yada, yada, yada. He was a squad player at United when they won that title. Like, they had Van Persie and they had Rooney. He was a squad player. In the season they won the title, he got one goal in 27 games. One. Rashford's been an important part of a United team that won an FA Cup, a League Cup, and a Europa League. He's played a huge role for England in a World Cup and a European Championship. There's just no comparison between the two. Marcus Rashford's a really good player. And Danny Welbeck has always been bang average. Always been bang average. Here's who they scored their international goals against. Belgium, good team. Sweden, good team. San Marino, no. Uh, Sweden. Scotland. Moldova, two against Moldova. Two against Switzerland. San Marino. Slovenia. Lithuania. Malta. And Costa Rica. So what are we giving them? Four goals against good teams. Six goals against good teams. Switzerland are fairly decent. Six goals against good teams. Uh, Rashford, Australia, Slovakia, Costa Rica, uh, Spain, Switzerland, Spain, Netherlands, Bulgaria, Montenegro, Kosovo, Belgium, and Romania. I think he's just scored against better teams as well. Both of three goals and friendly. Sorry, Rashford has four goals and friendlies. But I do think Rashford has scored against better opposition. I mean, two goals against Spain. Goal against the Netherlands, that's and a goal against Belgium. Obviously, Welbeck got one against Belgium as well. Rashford's just scored against better teams. And Rashford in the league has always tended to do fairly well against good teams. And Rashford needs away from United. I've said before I wouldn't sign that. I wouldn't sign a new contract if I was him. I, I would look to move on uh, and go and have my career elsewhere. But this idea that he's not a better player than Danny Welbeck is just laughable. 
absolutely laughable. He's also a clutch player, Marcus Rashford. He scored. He has scored the most last-minute winners in Premier League history. He is the type of player that does turn up in moments where his team needs him. And when he had his surgeries in the summer, I think he had one on his shoulder and was it one on his foot? Two operations. He hadn't been pain-free in over two years before that. It's crazy. And yet he was still performing at a high level. 21 goals, 22 goals while playing through injuries. There's, there's no doubt. Rashford's just a much better player. Jack Wilcher's a fool who threw away what should have been a great career. And Darren Bent's be just a little bit upset because no one really remembers him. Uh, we will see you in a minute. We'll take a break. Right, welcome back. So, before we go to the little bits of news and the gossip, I thought we'd take a little trip through the Premier League ahead of next season with the transfer window now officially open and maybe suggest one player that each club should sell. So, last week, obviously, went through all the Premier League teams and then this week added the three promoted teams. What I think, what I think they need to do this summer in terms of bringing players in. So now one player that each club should sell. One player who just doesn't have a future at the club. So with Arsenal, there's a couple. I would say Granit Jacket, but I do think they're going to keep hold of him because for whatever reason, Arteta seems to value the mediocrity that he brings to the club. I would say one player that they really should push to sell just to be rid of him is runner Alex Runnerson, who is the worst goalkeeper the Premier League has ever seen. Runner Alex Runnerson just needs to go. For Villa, it's Anwar El Ghazi. He doesn't fit in how Gerard wants to play with those sort of two number 10s behind a striker or a 10 behind two strikers. He needs to play in wide areas. He's a very streaky player. When he hits a run of form, he can look really good. There's a reason that when he was at Ajax, he was getting compared to a young Cristiano Ronaldo, and it's never really worked out that way. But he is a good player, and there will be clubs in need of a wide player like him who's big, pacey, direct, and can absolutely ping a ball. That kid, when he's on it, can knock the ball here, there, and everywhere and can put it in pretty much any corner of the net from wherever he wants. So, Anwar El-Ghazi is the one there. For Bournemouth, I would probably look to move on Chris Metham. I know he's the club vice-captain, but he did lose his place last season. And he has struggled at the Premier League level before. I think he's a good championship level defender and maybe there's more to come from him. I think he'd be actually much more comfortable in the middle of a back three uh, playing in the championship. So if I was a championship club or even look, even if you play a back four, like Burnley, 
could be a decent fit for him to replace Tarkovsky. Let him go somewhere and establish himself as sort of the leader of the defence. And I think he can have some luck. It's not going to happen for him at Bournemouth. They're obviously going to want a better partner than him for Lloyd Kelly. And at 24, I'd like to see him go play elsewhere. So Chris Metham is the one I'd be moving on if I was Bournemouth. At Brentford, again, there's a few here. Um, you could pick the backup goalkeeper, though he is only in on loan. I would say the one I'd go for is probably Roarslev, Mads Roarslev. Now, he is only 22, so don't be too harsh. But, but he looked so far out of his depth in the Premier League this past season. It really wasn't fair. His inability to control the ball was just shocking. So let him go, play somewhere else, develop, and maybe you get back a better player in a year. If not, maybe you sell him at a decent price. I would go Mads Roslev. Brighton and Hove Albion. The real answers here are Lalana and Welbeck because they're empty shirts, but they're going to be at the club next season. I would say the one to move on is probably Shane Duffy. Duffy has already said he wants to play a lot more next season. And he did have moments this past season where he played and looked pretty good. He's only 30. He's a starter for Ireland. He wants to remain a starter for Ireland. He's been very clear that playing for Ireland is the most important thing in his career for him. So. I would say let him go. Again, there'll be a whole bunch of championship clubs clubs that will have great interest in him. Let him go and play somewhere else. At Chelsea, the answer is Lukaku. It just is Lukaku. He was such a distraction this year that I do think it had a knock-on effect on other players. Because it created so much debate about why isn't he in the team? They paid all this money. He should be in the, t- the team. I-, I think it took away from what other players were doing. I think it might have knocked the confidence of one or two other players well when he arrived and was sort of just given the spot in the team, which is what happens when you spend that kind of money on a striker. Um, I would say Chelsea need to find a way to, to rid themselves of Lukaku. And I, I think Lukaku's outstanding. I'm not a, a Lukaku hater. I don't get into slagging him off on social media. I think he's a very, very good striker. Chelsea's just the wrong club for him. And Tuchel's the wrong manager. It's the wrong system. So, yeah, it's got to be him. Crystal Palace, Christian Benteke. He had his little resurgence under Hodgson. He had that decent season, and I say decent season. It's not like he tore up a whole bunch of three, uh, threes, but threes, threes, absolutely. Um, when you're an Irish person trying to say three and three, and they sound the same thing to us, um, you have to be careful. Anyway, last season he got 10 goals for Palace and earned a new contract. This season, he actually started the season playing quite well, and I thought Vieira was starting to get a bit more out of him. And then he just 
drifted off into the same habits he'd shown in the three seasons previous to last year. Um, it's time to sell him, move on, and let him go do something else with his career. Everton have announced departures today, including Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, I believe Fabian Delph was among them as well. Of those who are left, I think Tom Davies is the most obvious one. His career has stagnated quite badly at Everton. Now, I know it means more to him to play for Everton than it does for Locke because he came through the academy. He's there since he's 11 years of age. But Tom Davies should be a much better player at this point than he is right now. If I was Crystal Palace, I would actually try and get him. I think Vieira could revitalize him in a similar way to what he did for Conor Gallagher, but putting him in that same type of role because he is that high energy, high intensity type of player. He's got decent physicality about himself, despite not being the biggest and strongest looking. Davies is quite hard to push off the ball. I think he would be a really good fit and a really a potential bargain for Palace. I would go for him, but Everton should let him go this summer. It, it is just time. Uh, at Fulham, I mean, pick your poison. There's a lot of fellas here that are very much championship-level players. I would say Anthony Knockhart is the one to move on. There was a stage where Anthony Knockhart was, I suppose he was the midfield version of Dwight Gale. Far too good for the championship, not good enough for the Premier League. Uh, we know he's not good enough for the Premier League. We have seen it. It is time to move him on. Uh, you'll still find interest in him. You won't recoup the large fee that you paid for him, which was a mistake, but it is what it is. £15 million. And then loaned him a couple of months later. Mad. Absolutely mad. Uh, but yeah, Anthony Knockhart. Um, Leeds United. Again, multiple championship level players here. But I would suggest the one to move on might be Adam Forshaw. Now, the only thing I'd say is he has had horrendous luck with injuries. He did miss the better part of two years. So I think he will want to play a lot more. And he is a good championship level midfielder. Um, there's no doubt he was good for Borough. He was good for Leeds in the championship. But he's not a Premier League caliber player. Um, I would say move him on, let him go and have a career in the championship and, and try and make up for the years that he lost. Leicester City, you could name a few. I would sell Sayonchu. I think he's just cratered. If Rodgers is staying, sell Sayonchu and let him go somewhere else, and, and you're going to lose money on him. Um, but I just feel like the decline he's in isn't going to be turned around by Brendan Rodgers. He's still only 26, so he's still young enough for a centre-back. He is a good player. We saw it in that 18-19 season. He's one of the best centre-backs in the league. Or the 19-20 season, rather. He's one of the best centre-backs in the league when he stepped in to replace Maguire. But it's just gotten worse each season since. The other one from them I would consider if I was running the show is I would probably sell Ricardo Pereira and move James Justin to right back and buy a left back because Pereira is 28 now. 
He'll be 29 later this year. They bought him to flip him. This is probably the last option of the last year where you'll get a decent sum from. And he's had some injury problems that would worry me. So I'd probably look at him as well. Uh, Liverpool, there isn't a whole lot, but Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain stands out as the obvious one to go here. He was going very well, had the horrendous knee injury, and since coming back has never been able to establish himself, never been truly able to find real rhythm. He did have a couple of good runs in the team the year Liverpool won the title, but that's two years ago, and since then it just hasn't been great. It hasn't been great. Um, His versatility will be appealing to a lot of clubs. His energy, he's a quality player, but he is 29 later this year. He's missed so much football in his career with injuries. I just want to see him go and play somewhere. And it won't be at Liverpool. So, yeah, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Manchester City. I think Zinchenko. Now, if we're looking at who City should sell, I don't know that there's really anybody because you look at that squad and they're all players you would want to keep. Do you know who I would sell? I would sell Zach Steffen and I would promote Gavin Basunu to number two and try and keep him at the club because I think long-term he's going to be the better goalkeeper. I do think Stefan's a decent keeper, but Zinchenko's one who I just think should probably leave for his own good because he's a really good midfielder and he's the backup left back at City. He should be starting in midfield for Premier League team and he could start for a lot of Premier League teams, but he's never going to start for City. He's never going to be first choice. I think he should move on, but from a City point of view, maybe Zach Stefan would be the smart move. For United, the answer to who they should sell is Cristiano. The answer to who should look to leave is Phil Jones. Uh, Cristiano's had such a negative effect, but Phil Jones's career has really not gone the way it should have. Phil Jones is only 30. He has been at United 11 years. But in the last three years, he played 13 games because of the injury problems. He's missed his prime. Now, he likely was he was never going to become the defender he should have been. United didn't develop him well. He was stuck playing right back and holding midfield far too often. He should have just been developed as a centre-back. He would have been a very good centre-back if that had happened. Um, but also the fact that United wanted to play an expansive style didn't really suit him, similar to Maguire. Um, but Phil Jones needs to move on. Newcastle, Carl Darlow. He's too good to be a backup goalkeeper at the Premier League level, but probably not good enough to be a starting goalkeeper. He could be a starting goalkeeper at the Championship level without question. And I could see Burnley potentially having interest if Nick Pope goes. I think that could be quite a clever move for them if they could get him on the cheap. For Nottingham Forest... I would suggest Lewis Graben, maybe, but he might want to play in the Premier League, so we leave him. Um, do you know, a Forrester might not be anybody because they're new in the Premier League. It's a new experience for them all. 
I, I have spoken about Steve Cook before. I wouldn't be a fan, but you know he did play a big role in getting them up. So I could see why they would keep him. Um, maybe Nuno da Costa. Yeah, Nuno da Costa. He's the one. Let him go. He's clearly not going to make the grade. You didn't think he was good enough in the championship. So yeah, time to move Nuno da Costa on. Southampton, Shane Long, Theo Walcott, pick either one. Both need to go. They can still be valuable enough players to clubs lower down the football pyramid, but they're not Premier League players anymore. Um, Tottenham, Davinson Sanchez. Sell him, get back as much as you can. He's still only 25. He turns 26 actually in two days, so early happy birthday to him. Um, you paid, I think, 40 million for him. You might get 20 back. There'll still be clubs that rate him. He's still a decent defender, just not for the Premier League. Sell him, get what you can, and move on. Uh, West Ham United, there isn't many because it's not a big squad, and Moyes has trimmed a lot of the dross out of it. I would suggest that Masuaka is the one to move on because he doesn't really fit how you play. He's not a left-back. You've already... You don't play with an out-and-out -out left. We're going to use a playmaker there. Masawak is the one to move on. And then Wolverhampton Wanderers. Adama. Adama. He doesn't want to be at the club anymore. You've missed out on selling him for peak value. Uh, he did fairly well at Barcelona in some games. He created some opportunities, had a couple of assists. But, you know, 17 games, no goals. I think you were hoping that you could work a swap to get Trinkier permanently. That's not going to happen now. I, I'd be looking to sell him. I'd be looking to sell him and move on from there. Right. Uh, last bits then. Paris Saint-Germain have made, I would say, the smartest move of the entire Qatari reign, appointing Luis Campos as a football advisor. He's going to be the sporting director. Uh, he previously built the title-winning teams at Monaco and Lille. If there is somebody who could build a Champions League winner at PSG, it's him. Yeah, Fabian Delph, Cenk Tusen, and Gilfie Sigurdsson, uh, the three players who have left Everton. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Everton spent $10 million on um, Fabian Delph. He leaves now on a free, no return. £32 million pounds worth. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson cost £40 million. Pounds. And Cheng Tosin, I think, was he in around £30 million? Pounds? £27 million. Pounds. So £77 million pounds wasted. Cenk Tusen in his time at Everton, 61 games, 11 goals. Uh, spent time on two different loan spells. One at Crystal Palace, one at Besiktas. Actually scored four goals while on loan. So did better on his loans than he, than he did at Everton. Um, was really good for Besiktas when he was there originally. And he's only 31. He will find a club. 
Annie will go on to, to do quite well. And I think Fabian Delft will have Premier League interest. Leeds United would make a lot of sense. He came through their academy. I think they'd like to have him back. I think he'd make sense for them, give them an experienced voice in the dressing room, can tell them about, you know, defenders defend, midfielders box to box, the basics of football. Uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson is 32, turns 33 later this year. Uh, it was actually 45 million that Everton spent. So 92 million pounds of waste here. Uh, he had one good season, the 2018-19 season, scored 14 goals in 41 games uh, and obviously didn't play at all this season. Um, and we're not allowed to talk about why. But I'm sure if you Google his name, you can probably see why. Um, I shouldn't laugh because it's not a laughing matter. But yeah, Gilfie Sigurdsson uh, possibly won't play football again. We'll say that. Um, Spain beat the beat Switzerland in the Nations League. Who cares? Uh, Portugal beat Czech Republic. Who cares? Uh, Nottingham Forest in talks with Lewis Graben as Tobias Figueroa, Gaetan Bong, and Carl Jenkinson all leave. Jenkinson was the one I was going to say, and I, I couldn't see him in the list. Uh, Keenan Davis. Philip Zinkernagel, Max Lowe, Jed Spence, and James Garner have all returned to their parent clubs. Like they've got a lot of holes to fill. That's what I talked about earlier this week. They've got a lot of holes to fill in this squad now. Uh, they've released a bunch of academy players as well. I think they want to keep grabbing. He is the club captain. And he might be, he might be a decent option off the bench next season. He won't be a starter because they'll have Surridge and Brennan Johnson plus maybe one other. But Lewis Graben's a decent goal scorer. Um, he has played in the Premier League before. So he came through a palace in the Championship, was loaned to Oldham and Motherwell, went to Millwall in League One, had a couple of loans at Brentford, uh, moved to Brentford permanently, then went to Rotherham in League Two, and then he really started to, to take off did well with them in League Two, did well with them in League One, went to Bournemouth in the Championship, did really well, moved to Norwich, did well in the Championship, struggled in the Premier League, Was sold, I think he was sold back to Bournemouth, didn't do well there uh, in the Premier League, but had a good spell on loan at Sunderland, had a decent spell on loan at Villa, joined Villa permanently, was very good for them for two years in the Championship, and he's been pretty good for Forrest. Uh, 12 goals in 32 games in this past season while often coming off the bench. Not bad at all. Uh, I think he can be beneficial to a club in the Premier League next season as a, as a bench option, a little bit of little bit of experience in scoring now. Um, what else? Oh, the, the Derby County thing is getting really, really messy. So... Chris Kirchner, who it looked like he was the one that was going to buy the club. He's now been given a deadline of 5 p.m. today to prove he has the funds. It doesn't look like he does. The company that he is CEO to haven't paid the staff in a couple of months. They haven't paid a sponsorship deal to, I think it's the New Jersey Devils that they're one of the sponsors of, and they owe them a load of money. It may well be that Mike Ashley is the only 
option left here to rescue Derby County from liquidation. It may well be that that's the case. If that is the case, look, if it saves the club, great, but somebody needs to look into these administrators. Seriously. How is it that they went through due diligence with the three different parties that were in, none of whom, by the way, were Ashley, who said at the time he wouldn't deal with them because the administrators were demanding £4 million for the work they've done. £4 million. Do you understand how mad that is? £4 million. He didn't want to pay that to them because he said they were a bunch of blood-sucking leeches. So the three options they had left, they decided this guy, Chris Kirchner, was the best one. Was that because he was the one willing to pay them the most money? How do we not have, at this point, a set of administrators who work directly for the Football League? How is that not something we have? How is there not a mechanism in place where the Football League can step in and take over the running of the club until an owner can be found. Derby have five players, five senior players under contract for next season. That is a disgrace, what's been allowed to go on there. And the administrators, Quantumo, they have played just as big a part as anyone else in the destruction of Derby County. Let's do the gossip and be done for the week. Liverpool have reached an agreement on personal terms for Darwin Nunes. It does look like that deal is about to be done. George Mendes is poised to hold a meeting with Manchester United. No, he's not. No meeting is taking place. No meeting was ever going to take place. That is a lie that was made up so some fellow could get more airtime on the television. Liverpool expect Bayern Munich to meet their valuation of £40 million for Sadio Mane, which will help supply the funds to sign Darwin Nunes. Manchester United are contemplating a move for Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. Let me save everybody the time. No, they're not. Raheem Sterling is set to leave or is ready to leave Manchester City this summer, with Chelsea weighing up, made, making a bid. Um, whoever gets Raheem is getting a great player. Barcelona have been in discussions about Bernardo Silva, but can only afford to, to sign him if they sell Frankie de Jong. That's according to the spoofer. The truth of it is they need to sell Frankie just to survive. So, you know, it is what it is. They have done a disgraceful job running that club in recent years, and somebody should probably punish them for it. Uh, in a meeting with Barca officials, Silva's agent, George Mendes, also discussed the availability of Rafael Leao and Ruben Neves. Uh, not available and very available. That's the availability of those two players. Paris Saint-Germain have contacted Lille about signing Sven Botman. He clearly wants to go to AC Milan, but there are a bunch of other clubs interested, and he's a good player, so he's definitely going to get a move. Newcastle think they're getting close, but we've heard that before. Manchester City and Real Madrid are watching developments with Rhys James, who has yet to be given an improved contract at Chelsea. He currently earns 70 grand a week and has three years left in his current deal. So Chelsea don't actually need to do anything for now. Uh, Brazil winger Anthony's representatives are in Europe to try and agree a deal for a deal with Manchester United. Ajax value him at 51 million pounds. That is bananas. Bananas. Talented young player, not worth anything close to that. Bayer Leverkusen has have told Newcastle they plan to keep Moussa Diaby. 
I hope they do. I really want to see what Leverkusen look like with Diaby, Florian Verts when he comes back from his injury, their newest summer edition, Adam Lozic, Patrick Schick. They've obviously got, I mean, Adley, who they landed last summer. So it's a lot of very exciting attacking players. Um, and they brought in Sarder Usman. So I really want to see what they look like next season under Gerardo Sione, who I think is one of the best young managers in the world. I'm very excited to see Bayer Leverkusen next season. I think they will be a regular watch. Uh, Manchester City's Ilke Gundogan, whose contract runs out in 2023, is wanted by Juventus and Barcelona. Juventus will want him as a free transfer and Barcelona will want him because he's old. West Ham have registered... I don't even understand what this means. Registered their interest in signing Michael Keane. Like, words that mean nothing. Liverpool are willing to trigger the 42.5 million release clause for Gavi, although he would prefer to agree a new contract. If he was prepared, if he preferred to agree a new contract, he would have signed the contract they've given him, which is matching the contract they give Pedri. He does appear to want something else. Zinchenko is open to leaving Manchester City this summer, but interested clubs such as Wolves, Arsenal, Everton, Leicester and West Ham would have to guarantee him playing time in midfield, which I think is right. He should look after his career now. Chelsea and Tottenham have joined Manchester City in monitoring Spain left-back Mark Cucurella. Monitoring. That's a stupid word that doesn't mean anything. City could send James McAtee on loan to the Seagulls to secure a move for Cucurella's nonsense. He wouldn't even get a game at Brighton, James McAtee. Good young player, but he wouldn't get a game. Fenerbahce have registered their interest in Andreas Pereira, but the Red Devils have told the 26-year-old he will be given an opportunity to impress. That fella has been given an opportunity to impress pretty much every year for about six years now, and he's yet to really take the opportunity to impress. He has spent five seasons on loan in his career. He's a very talented player. He needs to get as far away from Manchester United as he possibly can. Wolves have placed a £25 million valuation on Morgan Gibbs-White. Um, they should just put him in their team. Leeds and Aston Villa have opened talks to sign 18-year-old English forward Sonny Perkins, who's very talented. I'm surprised West Ham are letting him go so easily. Middlesbrough have spoken to Southampton about a loan for Adam Armstrong. I don't think Saints will do that. I haven't spent so much money on them last summer. Joachim Lowe is interested in a return to club management and will consider the PSG job if Pochettino leaves. He's, Joachim Lowe is like... Carlo Ancelotti is the great man manager in world football right now. Like he's not a great tactician, but he's a brilliant manager of egos. Zidane is sort of Carlo 2.0. And then I think Joachim Lowe is what you would get if you ordered Carlo Ancelotti off wish. Uh, Fulham are close to signing Albanian goalkeeper Thomas Strakosha on a free transfer. And that will fill one of their needs for the season. And that is the gossip that is me for today. Thank you, as always, for listening. 
We will see you next week. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.